Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. We are on Season 2, The Book of Mormon, and our assignment this week is for January 6th through 12th. It is 1 Nephi 1 through 7, I will go and do, you know, taken from those famous words of Nephi. Now, the introduction starts out talking about the family of Nephi and Lehi and Sariah and Sam and Laman and Lemuel. And, and, um, you know, we don't have any other accounts that are quite as long and drawn out about a family as we do about Lehi and Nephi's family. You know, even the family of Jesus Christ, Mary and Joseph, and, you know, we don't have the long, detailed history that we have of Nephi's family. So it's a really interesting thing for me to ponder, to go back in and see the way that they interacted with each other, the way that they interacted with the word of the Lord, the way that the Lord worked with them within their family unit was really interesting for me to go in this week and kind of ponder upon. Now, the first couple of chapters of First Nephi, I feel like I have read them over and over and over again, because anytime I'm like, okay, I'm going to go read the Book of Mormon again, it's like I sit down and kind of motor on through First Nephi and, you know, the first couple of books in the Book of Mormon until we get to that parable of the olive tree, and then I kind of stop and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is really boring, and give up. So this is kind of familiar ground. Like I've kind of run over this ground over and over and over again to the point where it's kind of lost, I think, some of the significance for me. So I was really grateful for Come Follow Me this week for making me kind of stop and slow down and take my time and really go through and really investigate what these scriptures mean. And it's reminded me a whole lot of when we started out with Come Follow Me in 2019. And, you know, it starts out with the Christmas story and the birth of our Savior. And it's another story I'd read a million times over and over and over again, but it took that story and it blew it up and made it 3D in like a way where I could look at all the little nooks and crannies of the different things that were going on and learn all kinds of different stuff that I hadn't before. And I feel like this Come Follow Me assignment is doing the same thing for me here in First Nephi. So I was really excited to do that. It really brought to life a lot of the characters from Nephi's family and some of the I guess, motivations for what they were doing and their reactions to things and what some of their emotional states might have been as well. So that was a really long-winded introduction all to say, I really enjoyed this assignment this week. Thank you, Come Follow Me. All right, so our first section in Come Follow Me is the scriptures are of great worth. Yes, they are. Anyone who has studied the scriptures knows what they mean to us. You know, they're a place of refuge, of comfort, of advice. There's instruction in there. There's commandments in there. There's ordinances in there. Like they are great worth to us. But what did they mean to Nephi's family? That's what we're trying to learn here. Um, And we go into the section here. It says the first six chapters of the Book of Mormon contain many references to sacred books, sacred records, and the word of the Lord. As you read 1 Nephi 1 through 6, what do you learn about why the word of God is of great worth? That's from 1 Nephi 5.21. 
And the text of 1 Nephi 5.21 is, And we had obtained the records which the Lord had commanded us, and searched them, and found that they were desirable, yea, even of great worth unto us, insomuch that we could preserve the commandments of the Lord unto our children. Okay, so we can even see there from 1 Nephi 5.21, one of the reasons that the scriptures are so precious to us, even here in our modern day, is because it has the commandments of the Lord in it. It tells us how to follow God, which is a beautiful thing. It helps us be happy, but it also helps us kind of model our life after our Savior and after our Heavenly Father. Come Follow Me continues, What do these passages teach you about the scriptures? What do you find that inspires you to search the scriptures with greater commitment? Well, I went into my print copy of my scriptures. Um, Most of the time I do a lot of my studying online or through my Kindle, Um, just because it's convenient there and I can, you know, go to different footnotes and stuff. But I actually went into my print copy because I knew I had made a lot of notes in this when I was at BYU and my various gospel classes there. And I did make a lot of notes, especially in my Book of Mormon classes, because I was a freshman and I still really cared about the things I was learning in when I, my freshman year. By the time I got to se- be a senior, I was kind of, you know, phoning it in. But my freshman year, I was like really into it and like really into being like a serious student. So I've got really good notes from my freshman year of BYU. And in this particular chapter, I'm in 1 Nephi 4, and this is where Nephi is going in and, you know, he's being commanded to kill Laban. And in verse 1 Nephi 4, 13, it says, It's better that one man should perish than a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. That was why the scriptures were so important. They didn't want an entire nation that was going to be coming from Nephi's family to perish in unbelief. But I've got some other scriptures here. This is the notes that I took in my um, really super awesome Book of Mormon class my freshman year. So I have this little list of purpose of the scriptures, and they're kind of cross-references to other spots in the Book of Mormon or in First Nephi that kind of give some reasons for the purpose of the scriptures. And the first cross-reference is Alma 37.8. The text of Alma 37.8 is, And now it has hitherto been wisdom in God that these things should be preserved. For behold, they have enlarged the memory of this people, yea, and convinced them of the error of their ways, and brought them to the knowledge of their God unto the salvation of their souls. So the scriptures give us a spiritual heritage. They, you know, preserve the memory of this people. They also teach doctrine, which we are talking about the commandments and things like that. They help us know our Savior. They help us know our Heavenly Father. And they give us knowledge of God and the salvation of our souls. So those are all purposes of the scriptures that we get from Alma 37.8. Now swinging back into 1 Nephi, 1 Nephi 1.12, And it came to pass that as he read, he was filled with the Spirit of the Lord. That is a really good reason to have the scriptures. It's a really good reason for you to do a daily scripture study because as we read, we are filled with the spirit of the Lord and we have that extra spiritual protection around us. You know, I'm a big believer of the extra spirit that comes into your life because of the Book of Mormon. So I really do believe that that's a purpose of the scriptures for us. Another scripture that we can go to is 1 Nephi 3, 19, 20, and it says, And behold, it is wisdom in God that we should obtain these records, that we may preserve unto our children the language of our fathers, and also that we may preserve unto them the words which have been spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets, which have been delivered unto them by the Spirit and power of God since the world began even down to this present time. So we're preserving the language of a people and also preserving the words of the prophets. Which is awesome because I think about how many times I go into my gospel library on my phone or I go to churchofjesuschrist.org and I look at old conference talks and I find really good stuff in old conference talks. And I think, what would life be like 
if I didn't have the ability to go back into previous conferences and find things that apostles of God have been saying, prophets of God have been saying, things that will help and guide my life now in 2019, 2020, but it was even said, you know, maybe in 1984, you know, I'm able to go back and access that because of the miracle of modern technology. Well, Nephi and his family didn't have that, obviously, so they made the sacrifice to go back and get those records because they were so important to them. And that leads me back to Come Follow Me, where it says, what do you find that inspires you to search the scriptures with greater commitment? The emphasis that Nephi and his family placed upon the importance of the scriptures reminded me that I think I take a lot of things for granted. I take the Book of Mormon for granted, having that in my life. The miracles that had to come about for it to be published are astounding. I take the you know other scriptures as well, the Bible, the Pearl of Great Price. I take it all for granted because I've had it my whole life. And so seeing someone like Nephi who hadn't had the scriptures around when he was there in the wilderness risk life and limb to go back to Jerusalem and get those scriptures really kind of made me stop and think like, do I really prize my scriptures that highly? Like, would I really, you know, risk my life to go get my scriptures? I don't know. You know, that was something I started thinking about. And even if, you know, I don't get to that measure where I would risk my life for my scriptures, I can see that I need to place a greater importance on it in my life. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Now, the next section in Come Follow Me is called The Book of Mormon Testifies of Jesus Christ. True to the purpose stated on its title page, to convince all that Jesus is the Christ, the Book of Mormon opens with Lehi's remarkable vision of the Savior. Okay, so pause there. This is another thing. I'm like, I've taken this for granted because I have literally read over this so many times. Like, it just kind of flies over my head now. It's almost like, you know, you say the same things over and over again in prayer, like, please bless the food, keep us strong and healthy. Like, you know, but you say it so often, it kind of loses something. Reading these so often, I kind of lost stuff. And so going back in again and kind of pausing with Come Follow Me really made me kind of dig much more deeply into this. And so I'm going here in 1 Nephi 1, 1 Nephi 1, 8, and it says, And thus overcome with the Spirit, he was carried away in a vision, even that he saw the heavens open, and he thought he saw God sitting upon his throne, surrounded with numberless concourses of angels in the attitude of singing and praising God. Okay, so we are not even like 10 verses into the Book of Mormon, and Lehi is already seeing God. Like, that is amazing and astounding. Like he's having a vision of God. Like Joseph Smith had the first vision. Lehi is having something similar. And I just pass by that. I'm like, oh yeah, he sees God. And I I just keep going. No, no. Like this is a big deal. In fact, it is such a big deal that we can actually see there's like a little Semitic quirk kind of going on here in the language. Um, In old Semitic languages, like they felt so much respect and so much honor for God and reverence for God that they would never say he saw God. Instead, when we go in and we're looking at verse eight, it says, he thought he saw God. And that kind of puts a little distance between Lehi and God so he can say, you know, I'm I'm kind of reverencing you a little bit. And you'll see that when you go back in and you read some of the other texts in the Bible and things like that, you know, he thought he saw, or he thought he saw someone taken up, you know, things like that. You'll see how they kind of distance themselves from God. And that's because of the reverence and worship that they place between them and God. So we even see the reverence that Lehi had for God. But again, it was something I'd run over like a million times in my life. So we have Lehi having this amazing vision. And if we go back into Come Follow Me, it says, What do you learn about Jesus Christ from what Lehi saw? Well, let's look at it. So I'm in 1 Nephi 1, and I'm looking here in Lehi's vision. It's in verse 9, and it says, 
he saw one descending out of the midst of heaven, and he beheld that his luster was above that of the sun at noonday. And so that's kind of our first little point where we get to see Lehi describing Christ. So one descending out of heaven, we learn that Christ, as we know, is come down, made flesh here on earth with us. And so I think that's what he's seeing. He's also seeing that contradiction that even though he came to earth and he was human, he still has that divinity about him, that luster of midday. So it talks about a little bit more about the apostles that followed him, the 12 others did follow him, their brightness. And then he's given it, Lehi is given a book and he starts to read and he reads, woe, woe unto Jerusalem, for I've seen thine abominations. Yea, and many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem, that it should be destroyed and the inhabitants thereof and should perish by the sword and many should be carried away. And it came to pass that when my father had read and seen many great and marvelous things, he did exclaim many things unto the Lord, such as, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and thy goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants of the earth. Because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer those who come unto thee that they shall perish. Okay, so let's pause there in Father Lehi's, um, you know, little speech that he's giving there. So he's talking a lot about Jerusalem in verse 13. And yes, Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. That's correct. However, when we go into 14 and he's talking about the inhabitants over all the earth, you know, God warning Lehi about Jerusalem being destroyed wouldn't necessarily bless all the earth at that time. I mean, I guess it blesses us now because we have the Book of Mormon that came from, you know, Nephi and Lehi. But if we go back in and we look at Jerusalem as a symbol for, you know, just our fallen state, our fallen nature, woe unto those who are in a part of this world who sin, who fall away from Christ, who fall away from perfection. And God gives us a savior to come in and save us. And he gives us that savior to bring us back to him one day. And we can see that in 14 and when Lehi says, thou will not suffer those who come unto thee that they shall perish. God, you will not suffer those who come to you that they shall be spiritually cut off from you because we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of his infinite atonement, we can be reestablished with our Father in heaven. And so I think Lehi is seeing a little bit of that. And he's putting it, you know, out or Nephi, I guess, whoever's recording this, is putting it out there as Jerusalem. And I definitely think Lehi was warned about Jerusalem in this vision. He says that a little bit later. But I think that there was more to it than what we actually have here. I think that they were talking about the Savior as well. That's just gospel according to Lexi. I don't know if it's false doctrine or not, but I can't see how it would hurt adding in that Christ saves us in our sins and Lehi was maybe a a fan of that. So that's kind of what I saw in that particular section. When I go back to come follow me again, it's referencing verse 14. It says, great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. And come follow me asks, what are some of the Savior's great and marvelous works in your life? Well, obviously, you know, there's the big one where the atonement of Jesus Christ through him, I can come back to my heavenly father, right? There's also his grace that he blesses with me with day by day. Knowledge that there's someone out there who understands how I feel and what I've gone through. That is an incredible blessing to me as well. When I start to think about all the ways that God has blessed me, you know, I start thinking about what are some of the great and marvelous things in my life that God has given me just in general, not even having to do with my savior, but just in general. The first thing that came to me, and I think it's because I'm in first Nephi and, you know, Nephi's talking about being born of goodly parents, but I started thinking about my parents. I think being born to my parents was a huge blessing for my heavenly father. Both my mom and dad are 
pretty incredible people, like really incredible people. And I'm so lucky to be blessed by their presence in my life. And the way that they raised me to constantly be seeking after knowledge, that has guided me along my own testimony gathering, kind of as it were, throughout my years. But also seeing their example of gathering things for their testimony, their knowledge for of the scriptures and of the gospel of Jesus Christ was a huge example set for me. And then once you have that testimony, sharing it with others, they are a great example of sharing their testimony with others. And the thing that I learned, I think, particularly from my parents, is that when you have your testimony, share it with others using your talents, you know, the things that you have been blessed with by the Lord. My mom is an incredible public speaker. She absolutely loves being, you know, around people. She can bless people by being incredibly Christ-like and just she loves interacting with people. My dad is a huge introvert, like people are not his thing, but we find like when he got called as bishop, all of a sudden he became much more personable and friendly. But the talent I see in my father is that he is so diligent. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. You know, he's the home teacher who showed up every single month in the middle of the month, you know, not at the end of the month, but in the middle of the month to take care of you. He called you every single Sunday to make sure everything was good. If you needed him there to move something, he was there. Like, you know, like that's my dad. Like that's one of his talents. And that's one of the ways that I feel like he lives the gospel and shares his testimony is by being so diligent to the Lord and following the Lord's commandments with exactness. I find that their examples of loving the gospel, of learning about the gospel, and then sharing it with others, blessed my life and created some great and marvelous works in my life. And all kinds of just other ways, I think, that they've influenced me throughout the years. And I think I saw that so much because I see Nephi being grateful for his parents as well and for being able to follow them in their trek in the gospel, you know, both physically and spiritually as we see them leave Jerusalem. Um, But being able to follow them as well into the wilderness and trusting them that they will rely on God. So when we talk about great and marvelous works, for whatever reason, that is what came to my mind was my parents. I'm just really proud of them. And I'm so grateful that they are in my life. They are a great and marvelous, marvelous work in my life for sure. All right. The next section, when I seek and trust the Lord, he can soften my heart. Although Laman and Lemuel and Nephi all grew up in the same family and had similar experiences, there is quite a contrast between the ways they responded to the divine direction their father received in this chapter. This is talking about 1 Nephi 2. As you read 1 Nephi 2, see if you can identify why Nephi's heart was softened while his brother's hearts were not. You might also think about your own responses to direction from the Lord, whether through the Holy Ghost or his prophet. And when you have felt the Lord soften your heart so you could willingly accept his direction and counsel. When was that? When did you feel him soften your heart? Okay, so I had a couple different thoughts about this section. The first one is, although Laman and Lemuel and Nephi all grew up in the same family, had similar experiences, were raised by the same parents, there is a huge difference in the ways that they responded to the divine direction their father received. So I'm the oldest of five kids. Y'all are just going to hear a lot about my family this week. I don't know why I feel so like driven to talk about them, but I do. So I'm the oldest of five kids. There's four girls and we have a younger baby brother. Like he's 12 years younger than me. I'm the oldest. And, um, you know, so he had lots of mothering going on when he was growing up. But all of us, I think, have reacted to the gospel in different ways. I think all of us have different levels of spirituality in our lives, in various points of our lives. Some of us have stayed a little bit closer to the gospel than others. Some of us have different testimonies of different aspects of the gospel than others. Even though we all had the same parents growing up, 
you know, we're all different people. And so our personalities all take different like paths and different courses as we you know we grow and we go throughout our lives. I also think that there is a really interesting difference in the way that myself and my two next closest in age sisters that we were raised versus my youngest sister and my youngest brother, the way that they were raised. You know, there's a couple years difference between like the older girls is what we were referred to often. The older girls are being mean to me. The older girls are get this and I don't. Uh, my little sister, my little brother were a little bit younger than us. So there was kind of, you know, this feeling that we were a little bit closer. The three older girls were a little bit closer. And then the two younger ones were a little bit closer. So the way that the three older girls, myself and my two next sisters were raised, I feel like was a little bit stricter. Our mom was a stay at home mom for a lot of that. My little sister had some serious health problems when we were younger. She had tumors in her lungs, and that shaped a huge part of all of our childhoods. And so that kind of created, you know, some different dynamics, I guess you could say, in our family. Whereas by the time we got around to like my youngest sister and my youngest brother, I think my parents were tired. They were done. Like there was no more of that. You can only eat multi-grain cereal. You can't have the cereal with all the colors in it. They're like, yes, eat the Fruit Loops. Whereas I was never allowed to have Fruit Loops. Like that was not a thing in our house when I was younger. You know, my mom was convinced that red food coloring was bad and we were only allowed to eat natural stuff. But by the time we got to my youngest brother and sister, she was like, sure, eat it. It's fine. It's all good. You know? So there is a little bit of a difference in the way that we were raised, I think, just because of that. And so when I go in and I see Laman and Lemuel and the differences between them and Nephi, I wonder if there's not something similar going on. You know, Laman and Lemuel are a little bit older. They've actually been in Jerusalem. They've probably grown up their whole lives there in Jerusalem. You know, maybe they're in their early 20s and they're just kind of striking out on their own. They've kind of established a group of friends. You know, they're very comfortable there. It would be much harder, I think, for them to leave Jerusalem than it would be for Nephi, who is probably like a teenager, maybe even like a young teenager, 14, 15, maybe at that point for him to leave with his family. So, you know, I think there's something kind of to be said for like the malleableness of Nephi being at that age versus Laman and Lemuel, who are kind of a little bit more entrenched in Jerusalem society. So I think that may have been something. But now when we go into first Nephi chapter two, we see in 12 is where really where we see the first example of Laman and Lemuel kind of like string. And it says Laman and Lemuel being the eldest did murmur against their father. And they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of God who had created them. So they're whining and complaining And they're doing it because they don't understand God. Well, if you're not understanding God, you don't really understand your relationship to him. It's probably because you're not doing the things you're supposed to, like reading your scriptures, going to church, like that kind of thing. That's where I find myself when I slack off on that stuff is when I start becoming more negative about spiritual stuff. I become more whiny and complainy and much less willing to kind of, you know, grin and bear it as Nephi did. And I actually have written in the margins of my scriptures, you know, that dutiful freshman me wrote, Nephi saw the Lord because of his faith, diligence, and humility. And we see that in verse 16. And it came to pass that Nephi being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature. So, you know, he's a nice big tall boy. Also having a great desire to know the mysteries of God. Wherefore, I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart, that I did believe all my words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore, I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. So Nephi is faithful to the Lord. He's diligent. He seeks after him. And then when the Lord comes to him, he softens his heart, and he believes the words which had been spoken by his father. 
And when he says the Lord did visit me, I don't necessarily think that he had a vision at this point. I think this is more like the spirit of the Lord visited him. Come Follow Me asks, you might also think about your own responses to direction from the Lord, whether through the Holy Ghost or his prophet. When have you felt the Lord soften your heart so you could more willingly accept his direction and counsel? Um, I don't know necessarily that. I've ever had a moment where I'm like, oh, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. Well, 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 I take it back. The piercings. <laughs> I, I've always really wanted to have two pier- ear piercings in my ear, and the piercings thing was a big deal for me. Um, you know, shallow that I was at that that point, but I've gotten over that since then. I think instead what the Lord does is he knows that I have a hard time with change. And so a lot of times before the prophet will come out with an announcement, I'll already kind of be feeling like, okay, this needs to happen. Like before Come Follow Me came out, I was like, you know what? It would be really awesome if we spent more time studying scriptures by ourselves. Like I really wish there was some kind of like manual we could follow from the church that was modern and updated. And it would like, you know, give us daily things that we could read. And it would really help us think deeply about the scriptures and then come follow me comes out. I'm like, yes, heavenly father, you read my mind. Well, no, actually Lexi, (laughs) it was heavenly father planting seeds in your mind all along. Right. And, you know, so I think I see him working in that way. That's what came to my mind for that section. Next section is 1 Nephi 3, 4. God will prepare a way for me to do his will. Yes. Yes, he will. He will prepare a way for us to accomplish the things that he has asked of us to do. Come follow me says, when the Lord commanded Lehi and his family to obtain the plates of brass from Laban, he did not give specific instructions on how to accomplish this commandment. And this reminds me of a talk actually from the previous conference that we just had. It was Spiritual Capacity by Michelle Craig. And There's a section in there that talks about the different ways that we receive revelation. It's in the section of her talk that's called Believe and Trust. She says, Recently, I read in the scriptures about another great missionary who obtained his errand from the Lord. Aaron was teaching the king of the Lamanites, who wondered why Aaron's brother Ammon had not also come to teach him. And Aaron said unto the king, Behold, the Spirit of the Lord has called him another way. The Spirit spoke to my heart. Each of us has a different mission to perform, and at times the Spirit may call us in another way. There are many ways to build the kingdom of God as covenant-making, covenant-keeping disciples of Jesus Christ. As his faithful disciple, you can receive personal inspiration and revelation consistent with his commandments that is tailored to you. You have unique missions and roles to perform in this life and will be given unique guidance to fulfill them. Nephi the brother of Jared, and even Moses all had a large body of water to cross, and each did it differently. Nephi worked timbers of curious workmanship. The brother of Jared built barges that were tight like unto a dish, and Moses walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. They each received personalized direction tailored to them, and they each trusted and acted. The Lord is mindful of those of us who obey and in the words of Nephi will prepare a way for us to accomplish the thing which he has commanded. Note that Nephi says a way, not the way. All right, that's perfect for the section that we're talking about because the big I will go, I will do, like that comes from this section, right? That's the big scripture that we remember from this section. I love that, that he prepares a way, not the way. You know, the way that somebody else lives their life and the things that they do may be perfect for them, but they may be different for me. The way that you are studying Come Follow Me in your scriptures is perfect for you, 
but it may be different for me. And the way I'm studying Come Follow Me and receiving revelation for myself and Come Follow Me is perfect for me, but it may be different for you, which is why I feel so strongly that this podcast and any other podcast, any other study materials out there produced need to come to supplement your own personal revelation and your own personal experience with Come Follow Me. I feel really strongly about that. Okay, so let's go back into that Come Follow Me that I feel so strongly about. All right, so he did not give them specific instructions on how to accomplish the commandment of getting the brass plates. Come Follow Me says, this is often true of other commandments or personal revelations we receive from God. And this might lead us to feel like he has required a hard thing of us. Yes, he does require hard things of us. What inspires you about Nephi's response to the Lord's command found in 1 Nephi 3, 7 and 15 through 16? All right, let's look at it. Okay, so 1 Nephi 3, 7, that's the famous I will go and do. I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded, for I know the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them to that they may accomplish the thing which he hath commanded him. So let's look at the 15 and 16 that come follow me references as well. And this is where, you know, Laman and Lemuel, they went into the house of Laban to go and try and get the plates themselves. Big brothers led the way. So actually, big brothers drew the short straw, and so they had to lead the way. But they led the way. They went in to go see Laban. Laban got angry with them. He threw them out. He said he would kill them. They run off. They're like, okay, we're done. We're done. We're done. But Nephi takes charge. And he says in 15, But behold, I said unto them that as the Lord liveth, and as we live, we will not go down into our father in the wilderness until we have accomplished the thing which the Lord hath commanded us. Wherefore, let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Therefore, let us go down into the land of our father's inheritance. For behold, he left gold and silver, all manner of riches, and all this he hath done because of the commandments of the Lord. So when we look in 15 where it says, As the Lord liveth, And as we live, that is Nephi swearing an oath, okay? And swearing an oath on your life in that particular culture was one of the most serious things that you could possibly do. Um, Nephi is swearing before the Lord that he will accomplish this thing that the Lord has asked of him. Have you ever sworn that promise to God? Like, Heavenly Father, I know what you have asked of me is hard, but I swear to you, I I will do this. And this is awful, but the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of that is being married. It's like, you know, this is really hard, Heavenly Father. It's really hard to be married. But I promised you in the temple, and I promised my husband in the temple, that I would do this, that I would stick with it. And we would, you know, stick with each other, even in times that are not good, right? Even in times where my husband decides he no longer wants to be a member of the church, even though we were married in the temple, you know, I will still stick with him. And that's a choice that I've made. And, you know, it's a promise that I have kept. And it's something that anytime I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot handle another moment of this. I think, you know what? I promised the Lord I would though. And that's kind of how I stick with it. Something else I think when I go back in and I read this story is why didn't the Lord just tell them to take the plates with them when they left Jerusalem? Like, why did he have them go off into the wilderness? Oh, hey guys, wait a minute. I want you to turn around and go back and get the plates. Like, why, why was there that whole back and forth thing? Like, what was the deal with that? Well, I started thinking about, I know this is like kind of off the track of the Come Follow Me bus that we were on this week, but this is kind of a side trail and I think it's worthwhile. So we're going to go down the side trail, but he had them go back and forth from Jerusalem, right? So why did he have them do that? I think there was a couple things going on there. The first thing I think is, you know, if they were, it seems like they were fairly wealthy within Jerusalem society. They may not have been physically fit. 
and physically have a physicality, I guess, that they needed to survive in the wilderness. So this may have been a training exercise. You know, hey, we'll let you go over like this familiar ground back and forth. Maybe it's a little bit easier. Maybe there's a little bit more water and stuff along the way. Like we'll let you go over this familiar ground a couple of times and it will get you fit and in shape to kind of take on what's going to coming ahead, you know, like that whole thing. I also think from this week's reading, we see in chapter five, if we fast forward a little ways, when the boys get back, it says, starting in verse one, and it came to pass that after we had come down into the wilderness unto our father, behold, he was filled with joy. And also my mother, Sariah was exceedingly glad for she had truly mourned because of us. For she had supposed that we had perished in the wilderness, and she also had complained against my father, telling him that he was a visionary man, saying, Behold, thou hast led us forth from the land of our inheritance, and my sons who are no more, and we perished in the wilderness. And after this manner of language had my mother complained against my father. So Sariah had a bad attitude, which I don't blame her. I would probably have a bad attitude at that point. I have bad attitudes for things that are much less serious than that. So she had a bad attitude about her kids getting, you know, lost and possibly killed in the wilderness. That would make me very angry too. And so she's murmuring against Lehi. And then we see in four, and it came to pass that my father spake unto her, saying, I know I am a visionary man, for if I had not seen the things of God in a vision, I should not have known the goodness of God, but had tarried at Jerusalem and had perished with my brethren. But behold, I have obtained a land of promise in which things I do rejoice. Yea, and I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban and bring them down again unto us in the wilderness. And after this manner of language did my father Lehi comfort my mother Sariah concerning us while we journeyed in the wilderness up to the land of Jerusalem to obtain the records of the Jews. And when we had returned to the tent of my father, behold, their joy was full and my mother was comforted. And she spake saying, now I know of a surety, that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Yea, and I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of Laban and given them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them. And after this manner of language did she speak. And that is the last time that we ever hear of Sariah complaining, right? So I think that this was a big trial for Sariah to go through and for the Lord to soften her heart and give her something that was hard for her to do. And then when her sons returned, it was a testimony to her that the Lord was mindful of her and that the Lord was going to be there with her. And it strengthened her testimony and her resolve to follow her husband there into the wilderness. So I think that this was a really important experience for Sariah, as well as the boys to go to Jerusalem and back. I also think that there was a power shift of dynamics between the boys, you know, with Laman and Lemuel and Nephi and Sam, as they went back and forth from Jerusalem and back. So Even though it seems like it may not make sense, sometimes when, you know, the church makes a statement, but then they take it back. I mean, there's always a reason God doesn't change his mind just on a whim. And so in this particular situation, I saw some reasons there. And even if there's not a good, particularly good reason, there's always really good things that can come out of stuff. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's kind of what (laughs) I saw. Now, let's talk a little bit about 1 Nephi chapter 4. This is where Nephi goes in to get the brass plates, right? So... One of the scriptures that I really love out of 1 Nephi 4 is number 6, number 6, verse 6, verse 6. And I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. I have found that to be true in many instances in my life where I walk into a situation and I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to handle this. Like, but you do lead me on. You know, Lord, I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. That's a great scripture. And just because the Lord is with you, And because the spirit is with you, 
doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And we see that with Nephi here, because this is where Nephi is constrained by the spirit that he should kill Laban. And that's in verse 10. And Nephi says in his heart, never at any time have I shed the blood of any man. And I shrunk that I would not slay him. The first instinct that Nephi, Nephi, like Nephi, I will go and do Nephi, has is to shrink. Shrink at the command of God. That's his first instinct. So when we see a commandment of God that makes us kind of like cower back, like, oh, I don't want to do that. Know that you're in very good company. But it's when Nephi turns his will to God's and he follows God that good things start to happen. Not good things for Laban, but he's able to get the scriptures and return with Zoram to his family. You know, it's interesting to me that it took Nephi nine verses to wrestle with the spirit over this. You know, nine verses, that's a good old chunk of the scriptures that we have. You know, we don't have a whole lot more wrestling with the Lord than we have here with Nephi. And the spirit is constantly like reassuring him, you know, it's better one man should perish than a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. And I, Nephi, remembered the words that the Lord, which he spake unto me in the wilderness, saying, Inasmuch as thy seed shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land of promise. And I thought they could not keep the commandments of the Lord according to the law of Moses, save they should have the law. And I knew that the law was engraven upon the plates of brass. And I knew the Lord had delivered Laban into my hands for this cause, that I might obtain the records according to his commandments. Therefore, I did obey the voice of the Spirit and took Laban by the hair of his head, and I smote off his head with my own sword. So the Lord has asked Nephi to do something really hard, harder than standing up to his brothers, harder than going off into the wilderness and leaving everything behind, was to kill somebody. And I have to think at a young age that Nephi was, you know, being the young teenager that he is, that was probably really, really hard for him. And there had to be some sort of ramifications from that, some sort of mental ramifications from that, I have to think. Um, I mean, I wonder if Nephi did not suffer from some sort of PTSD, actually, after all of this, even like just being there in the wilderness. But the thing I find that is so incredibly interesting after this all comes to pass is that when he is next asked to do something like really hard, like, hey, Nephi, go build a boat. Like, I know you don't know how to build a boat, but go build a boat. Nephi's like, yep, I will go and do. Like, he doesn't even question. He doesn't wrestle with the Lord anymore. He just goes and does. Like, he becomes goes and does man, right? So there's no more wrestling. Like, I think this was a really important moment for him where he can see, hey, when the Lord asks me to do something, there's a reason behind it. And he doesn't question him anymore. He just goes and does. You know, so I think that that was a really important lesson out of 1 Nephi 4 as well. All right, going back to come follow me. Remembering the works of God can give me the faith to obey his commandments. When Laman and Lemuel felt like murmuring, they usually had Nephi and Lehi nearby to encourage and admonish them. When you feel like murmuring, reading the words of Nephi and Lehi can provide valuable counsel and perspective. Okay, so I want to pause there. Um, So Laman and Lemuel, I feel like sometimes get a really bad rap. Um, we see Nephi and Sam as like the good guys and Laman and Lemuel as the bad guys. Now, Laman and Lemuel, yes, they did some bad stuff. <laughs> I will not, I will not take that away from them. They were, they were definitely bad guys, but I don't think that they were thoroughly the villains that we make them out to be sometimes. Like they're not the mustache twirling, like, ha 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 ha, I have an evil plot kind of villains. Like, I think that they were just weak people caught up in a really difficult situation sometimes. And we can see that even Laman and Lemuel at times chose the right. Like they chose to do the right thing. They maybe just didn't choose it for the right reasons. So our heart and where our heart is at, the reasons that we choose things, I think a lot of times says a lot about us. It says a lot about where we are spiritually as well. 
um, Laman and Lemuel, I mean, they got, they're there in the wilderness going back to get the plates and they're beating Nephi and an angel like shows up and is like, Hey, why are you beating your brother? And they're like, okay, we won't beat him anymore. And then like immediately after the angel leaves, they're like, "Eh, I'm murmuring again. You know, I mean, like they see these amazing spiritual experiences. They have all kinds of incredible witnesses of the gospel and they do the right thing every now and again, but not 100% of the time, right? And so we can see that their faith wasn't really in God. It wasn't really in, you know, the faith of the gospel. It was really, they were obeying more out of fear, I think. And so when you have someone who's obeying out of fear, the minute that that fear of punishment is removed, they're not going to be obedient anymore, right? You see this all the time in school. The minute that a kid can find out that they can get away with something without being punished for it, you know, they're going to get away with it. Like they're going to do it, right? So that's not a really good reason to be obedient to God. Um, fear of punishment is just, it's not permanent, I guess I would say. Um, doing something because you love the Lord is going to create a much higher quality of obedience, if that makes sense. Um, you know, when kids obey me at school, a lot of times, and there's research actually coming out to support this, that when you have a good relationship with a student, they are much more likely to be obedient in class. Classroom behavior gets a whole lot better when you have a really good, respectful relationship with a student. So when the students respect you, when they feel like you care about them, then they will follow your directions much more of the time than if they are scared of you. And that's something I use as a tool all the time in classroom management. You know, so I think that kind of relationship between us and Heavenly Father, where we see that he shows interest in us and we show interest in him, creates a stronger bond of obedience to him than maybe what Laman and Lemuel had. They don't have that outside interest of Heavenly Father. They're not cultivating that in their own personal lives. And so I think that's why they couldn't stay attached to the iron rod, which is a good lesson for all of us that we need to trust God wholeheartedly and we need to turn our whole heart to God and follow him out of love and obedience and not just because we're supposed to and not just because we're afraid of him or we get something out of it but doing it out of a love for God and a love for righteousness. And I think that will get us much farther along the gospel path than doing it because we're afraid of him or whatever. So just a thought I had. Um, going back to come follow me. When you feel like murmuring, reading the words of Nephi and Lehi can provide valuable counsel and perspective. How did Nephi and Lehi try and help their family members build faith in God? See 1 Nephi 4, 1 through 3. So this is where, you know, they're going back to get the plates. And in 1 Nephi 4, 1, it says, And it came to pass that I spake unto my brethren, saying, Let us go up again into Jerusalem, and let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. For behold, he is mightier than all the earth. And why not mightier than Laban and his fifty yea, or even tens of thousands? So again, I think Nephi has kind of figured out that Laman and Lemuel are afraid of the Lord. So he's using, you know, imagery of Laban is really mighty, but the Lord is mightier, you know, kind of that might of the Lord, which is what they're afraid of. So kind of to urge them along. He reminds them of their past with the law of Moses. He says, therefore, let us go up. Let us be strong like unto Moses. For he truly spake unto the waters of the Red Sea, and they divided hither and thither. And our fathers came through out of captivity on dry ground, and the armies of Pharaoh did follow were drowned in the Red Sea. And then he reminds them of the angel. So again, he's kind of poking that whole fear thing that they've got, because that's the only thing that will really make them behave. Now behold, you know that this is true, and you know that an angel has spoken it to you. Wherefore can you doubt? Let us go up. The Lord is able to deliver us, even as our fathers, and to destroy Laban, even as the Egyptians. 
right? So he's kind of poking on that little button that he knows will get them to behave. But again, that's them behaving out of fear, not out of love. And the scriptures it references in 1 Nephi 5, 1 through 8, we've already read. That's about Sariah. And, you know, he confirms, yes, I am a visionary man. I know you're calling me that. But then, you know, the testimony that she had there of her son's returning. Then the other scripture it references is 1 Nephi 7, 6 through 21. And this is when the Lord instructs them to go back to Jerusalem again. Oh, bless them. And they have to go back to go get Ishmael and bring Ishmael and his daughters out into the wilderness as well. So we see actually in 1 Nephi 7, 10, Nephi's kind of lecturing them and saying, How is it that you have forgotten that you have seen an angel of the Lord? True conversion does not forget y'all. And how is it that you have forgotten what great things the Lord hath done for us in delivering us out of the hands of Laban and also that we should obtain the record? Yea, and how is it that you have forgotten that the Lord is able to do all things according to his will for the children of men, if it so be they exercise faith in him? Wherefore, let us be faithful to him. And he's telling them like, guys, how, how can you forget this, guys? Like you've seen an angel, like amazing things have happened and you are still doubtful. You're still being dweeb knockers. Like what is the deal, guys? Like that's what he's saying. And I kind of wonder the same things. Like they, they kind of are always a hot mess. But if that is one lesson that Laman and Lemuel can teach us that we need to not be like that, that's definitely a good lesson for us to learn. And so that is where I'm going to end this week's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an awesome week and I will see you here next time. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.